podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. How's your fantasy team doing, mate? Oh, I haven't sat here in ages. Everyone's bored of it by the stages of the season, now, aren't they? That's enough out of you, you whiny limey. That's soccer, not football. And this is Paddy Power's NFL Fantasy. Running on just the 6 p.m. games, it's only a game week long. No season-long boredom, no excuses, and 750 pounds in prizes guaranteed each week. Paddy Power Fantasy. Hate waiting, love winning. Paddy Power Fantasy rules apply. It's in plus Hello and welcome to the Nat Coombe Show presented by Paddy Power Fantasy. Good to have you with us this fine Wednesday. I and Mike Carson dropping by very shortly to get in to, well, his power rankings. Looking forward to that. We'll talk a little bit about Monday Night Football, the return of Eli Manning and what that means for the NFC East race, the race that no one seems to want to win. We'll get into officiating as well, unsurprisingly, after that Patriots-Kansas City game. It is Mike's favorite subject, let's face it. So, of course, we're going to talk a bit about that. And, indeed, the latest controversy surrounding the New England Patriots and Bill Belichick. More of that shortly. Uh, just a shout-out to our top sponsors, Paddy Power Fantasy. Appreciate all their support this season. Not least the Listener League, the show league that they've been putting together for you to get involved with free to enter daily fantasy cash prizes to be won rolling on once again this weekend i know lots of you have won uh having played already so good fun get involved fantasy.paddypower.com forward slash league forward slash nat coom show pretty easy ben isaac's dropping by a little bit later on in the show as well uh to talk through the college playoffs they've been sort of the final four uh, the Heisman Trophy gets announced this weekend. So who's going to win that? And indeed, is the recipient a lock and load for the number one overall draft pick? All of that to be revealed a little bit later on. But we'll kick things off, of course, with Iron Mike. Iron Mike, how you doing? Well, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas at Oblique House here. Uh, <laughs> what, so what, in what way have you got? I, well, you know, let me guess. Let me guess. Sinatra on Sinatra on. You got vinyl Sinatra. Not 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 quite. But the Christmas tree did go up um, last night, and unfortunately, it's a little bit smaller than I thought it was. <laughs> it looked nice, so. Um, but then when I brought it home, and and my problem is that I tend to acu- <laughs> accumulate ornaments because I I try to get one every year. Mm. Uh, I picked up this beautiful. Vincent Van Gogh, um, an original Japanese, yeah, his original Christmas ornament, yeah. um, at the Van Gogh Museum in Amsterdam. And, uh, so that has pride of place this year, but I've got my, my Super Bowl one, my Bridgeport Bluefish one, uh, the Boston oh, Celtics one that, is broke last year. Yeah. Um, I've put one up yesterday. It's not a very good photo though, unfortunately. Well, we'll uh, get Alex and the boys to nab it and push that on our channels. When you said I got the dimension of the tree wrong, I immediately thought of, uh, Spinal Tap when Stonehenge <laughs> when, uh, <laughs> one of my favorite scenes in the history of cinema. Look it up, kids, if you don't know what I'm talking yeah, about. I was thinking, you know, if, if Stonehenge were open the way it was when I first went there back in 1972 or 3, um, I was thinking of spending Christmas there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the hippie era. We've got the hippie era, Carlson. We've got the Magnum uh, State Trooper cop era of the early 80s with the Tash. I mean, there's so much, so much good stuff here in the, uh, in the history book. Uh, now, uh, Mike Carlson, can you account for your whereabouts on Sunday uh, around the Cleveland, Ohio area? <laughs> I do have proxies who I can get to do. My little micromaniacs are available for for many 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 small tasks. But yeah, isn't it great that the Browns are, are like one of these stories that keeps on giving? You know, 
<laughs> Unbelievable, but they really are. And so the um, no, I know what you're talking about. We're, we're get, we've got to go to the Cincinnati Bengals. But no, it's a fair um, point that the uh, that the Browns are a strong yeah, team. Too. It would I mean, be but, there, of course. That that was, you know, when you happen. said around Cleveland, I was thinking, yeah, maybe I'm maybe me and Odell got to go out for another drink and talk things over again. Um, <laughs> Baker but, Mayfield, way to go, incidentally. Yeah, in but terms this of this whole spy, under the bus. Yeah, <laughs> this whole Spygate two thing, I think, is is going to be. Um, Let's it, recap the story for for the yeah, benefit the story, of the story is the Patriots were filming the, the Cincinnati Bengals um, while while they were playing, which is um, from with a camera from the press box, which uh, is illegal for a team to do. They can only take you know video footage uh, that's released via via broadcast or or via the league. Um, and it was clandestine, so their argument. Well, that's what excuse, they're saying. It was yeah. clandestine. Now, the, the the story is that according to Adam Schechter, at least that the Patriots were doing a feature for their own website on advanced scouts. So they had a camera crew with the advanced scout who was up right. in the, in the press box. Um, so and they've got a all, series called do your job and they follow yeah. a different member of the organization round every week. And as he said, You're this time more it was informed. Yep. Advanced <laughs> scout, but it's, but it was highly uh, coincidental of course, that they chose to do that particular episode of this. Yeah, series. It's really co- coincidental that they would choose to cover their advanced scout when he was actually scouting the team they're playing <laughs> The week before it's kind of what sure. advanced scouts do um and um anyway they cleared it apparently with the bengals and the bengals with the browns it. they cleared it with not the, bengals. With the Browns. yeah and now the, the crazy thing is as as i think mike tanier pointed out do you really need do you really need to try to steal the bengals signals when they're calling a, a fourth <laughs> a fourth and goal at the four quarterback draw for Andy Dalton i mean you know if you were doing that you would just your guy would just break out laughing um yeah. It makes no sense from a, a cheating point of view. If you were assuming that they're cheers, why would you, you know, this is the, like the last game you would need to do this. <laughs> sure. For. sure. Um, you know, and I don't think it's, it's a, a slam dunk win for the Patriots, to be honest, uh, against the Bengals, but, but, but you nevertheless, to, yeah. nevertheless, this is not what, what you're doing, but because it's the Patriots and because, yeah. um, you know, every time, every time something happens, the, they are the I they I guess they're the Yankees, the nineteen fifties Yankees and in, in the team that, that they look that the world loves to hate. Loves to hate. So, what happens you know, with it, Mike? Do you think there is any fallout? Be, well, because even it, if it's illogical and, and I and you make some really good arguments as to why I think it's, yeah, it's I think the N- I think the NFL office has already said that that penalties would be minimal, if at all. So okay, let's move on from that particular Patriot story to the one that uh, in many respects uh, was a significant one this weekend, uh, overshadowed, of course, by the extraordinary game in New Orleans. But the Patriots-Chiefs game, nevertheless, was pretty compelling. And the Patriots, as we talked about on, on Monday's show with Nicky Bandini, quite understandably, Mike, feel a little bit robbed with what went down there. You had the Stefan Gilmore fumble return for the touchdown that was whistled up too early, so it negated the, uh, the taking it to the house. And then uh, you had, uh, even more visibly, the Inkeel Harry touchdown that wasn't, which left a lot of people baffled as to why the officials didn't just call the touchdown, knowing any uh, touchdown call has to get reviewed, as opposed to calling him out of bounds when when he wasn't. And those two calls, either one, but certainly both of them, would have would have won the game for uh, the Patriots, you would think. So, well, Yeah, it would have put him in a position to win the game, at least. Um, if both of them been given, they would have. Yeah, yeah exactly. So um, what do you make of... Those those two calls, how they happen, why they happen, and I know you uh, are very, very vocal and passionate about the inconsistency and the lack of uh, caliber in officiating crews, certainly in terms of 
depth in, in the NFL. So what gets done, what can get done about this? We talk about it every single year and nothing seems to improve. Yeah. Um, and, and what happens every year, uh, is that as the season winds down and the better games get flexed into prime time or the bigger audiences start watching the best game that's available, um, in the earlier slots, there's more attention paid. If, if those calls had been made in the Bengals, Browns game, there would have been a little bit of a hoo-ha, but, but not much. But when, you know, it, it's like New Orleans and the Rams last year. It's when the audience is the biggest that the, the mistakes get amplified. But having said that, the Patriots had won 21 straight games at home. The last time they lost, the referee was Jerome Boger. And Jerome Boger was the referee again. Yes, he was. Yeah. Um, now I'm not saying it's a conspiracy or anything like that, but it is a coincidence. Um, and coincidence is not causation, but, um, the, the weird thing is, and, and the worst thing in both cases, you nailed it on the, um, Nikhil Harry touchdown. If, if, if the guy who's supposed to make the call on whether or not he's inbounds doesn't know the guy who is, is there to make the call as to whether he's gone into the end zone and thinks that he stepped out of bounds shouldn't make that call because he knows that if he calls touchdown, it will be reviewed. Now, he also knows the Patriots have used up their challenges so that it can't be reviewed, which is why people are are talking, you know, conspiracy. Mm-hmm. Um, and the part about using up your challenges, one was for a first down spot that was about a yard short, which replay clearly showed but was not overturned when Belichick challenged. Um, the second one was on that fumble, not that it's a touchdown because the whistle did blow, although it blew after Gilmore had picked the ball up, not before. And But the referee still did not even admit it was a fumble. Mm. It ruled him down by contact. So Belichick had to challenge that simply to get possession of the ball on the fumble. And that, of course, was correct. Now, the rule is if you if you challenge twice – and they're both correct, you get a third challenge. But the rule really should be that if you challenge correctly, you keep that challenge. Um, because obviously what we saw was one of these situations where there was nothing you could do, even though the call was so obviously wrong on, on the Enkeel Harry touchdown. Now, the same referee also experienced a momentary blindness on the blitz. If you remember, there was a blitz on a, on a, um, third down play before the field goal. And Tony Romo was saying, Oh, they're coming. Everybody's coming. You know, Brady's got to find the right receiver and get it out quickly, which he did to Philip Dorsett. The only problem was that Fuller had Dorsett in a bear hug, literally um, pinning both his arms against his body as the ball went past. And the same official, the, the, the um, um, down judge on the sidelines was sitting there watching it. And, um, signaled incomplete and then what really irks me is fuller was doing this kind of no 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 you can't do that (laughs) (laughs) and that's that that to me was the worst call of the game um but since the nfl this season during the season has put out a referee's advisories that you don't blow fumbles dead Mm. when the when the ball's being picked up and recovered you can't understand why they would blow it dead at that point you yeah, know, I, they, I guess I guess, it made totally, no sense whatsoever. It's a really fair point, and I suppose with both of them, with the Enkil Harry and that one, the I guess the defense for the reason the calls happen was that these are human beings, and it's the the moment. And sometimes you overlook that. I think that assume uh, or that officials are auto 
mated machines that have no sense of emotion and the heat of the the how experienced they are particularly if they're not wildly experienced in the heat of the moment when you've got eighty thousand fans screaming and it's crunch time and there is this action and speed that it happens and all of that thrown in maybe he did think he saw nikhil and kiel's harry foot touch the the white maybe well he, he did just, oh for sure he did mm. but he but he was checking on it so if he thinks he saw it and he's checking with the guy whose call it is and the guy whose call it is said oh i didn't see it mm. because i think they didn't want to make a decision is is what it comes down to then he should really revert to the score he, he should really revert to what he knows will be um will be a, something a fail safe assessment yeah, yeah 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 um you know just like they they, they micromanage the officials so much mm. um that it's impossible it's impossible that they did not realize that when a ball comes out you know let it play out and then review it if it's a fumble but i just wonder whether in the cold light of day that's the logical thing but you know in the emotion and the uh, instinct no. kind of kicking in that's, let's what talk- that's why they're refer- they're supposed to be why they're referees yeah, they're, fair, they're pros it's a fair a fair argument let's just move on quickly on another thing on officiating i want to ask you about before we we roll forward to some other subjects in terms of the big change, or one of the big changes anyway, going into this season post the NFC Championship game last year, enabling pass interference calls not given to be challenged. Now, right. I've only got stats through week 12 here, and this is via a New York Times article. So, uh, But I'd imagine the trend hasn't changed dramatically in the last couple of weeks. A 15 of 77 reviews of pass interference were overturned, right? But right. as the article points out, half of those reversals, the seven, nearly half, seven of the 15, were uh, initiated by officials in the replay booth are responsible for challenges in the last two minutes of the half, right? So it has been pretty much all season long, Mike, one of the main narratives here in relation to officiating, that this grand rule that got brought in for all the right reasons after the, the Saints were robbed in the championship game just isn't working. So it no. gets brought in with a whole lot of hoo-ha and fanfare, but actually the practical application of it is is just bunk and, and nobody's buying it. Absolutely. And, you know, and that occurred in the um, the Jets-Dolphins game because the, mm. the play that set the Jets up for the winning field goal was overturned in New York. The ruling was overturned oh, in New right. York. That's right. Hence Flores. And deemed, uh, yeah, and deemed pass interference. And, and the problem is not, review per se. The problem is nobody knows what pass interference is or isn't. Yeah. Uh, there was a play in the Baltimore in the Baltimore Buffalo game where uh Cole Beasley was running deep with Marlon Humphreys, who um before Fuller came along was my my candidate for the uh Steve Nelson flag waiting to be thrown award. <laughs> um so he's chasing Beasley. He's right behind him. And Josh Allen unleashes a Josh Allen pass, which which is going 10 or 15 yards over Beasley's head. And Humphrey, not not sort of like content with that, gives Beasley, you know, makes a little contact with Beasley's back. And Beasley did a soccer move. (laughs) He basically basically fell like Messi, um, you know, on on a breakaway and um, drew the pass interference flag. And I was... I'd say Neymar more than Messi, I would say that. (laughs) Histrionic guy. Yeah. And, um, you know, so I I was sitting there thinking, challenge that because it wasn't a catchable ball. Um, So even if he did hit him and even if you thought, you know, there's no pass interference if the guy could not possibly have gotten to the ball, Mm. but they, but they didn't challenge it. And, and that stood up. The problem is that the, the, the rule used to be that when the ball's in the air, you can't touch the receiver. Mm -hmm. 
the Pereira, the Pereiraism is now that you can't gain a significant advantage by contacting the receiver. And as we've seen repeatedly, and I make the point repeatedly, the receiver has to catch the ball. The defender only has to stop him from catching the ball, Mm -hmm. which means he doesn't have to worry about catching the ball. And if you try to catch the ball with somebody pulling one of your arms back, that's a significant advantage. If somebody pushes you just as you're about to catch it, that's a significant advantage. If, if like um, Kendall Fuller did, you grab both his arms, that's a significant advantage. And sometimes they see it and sometimes they don't, you know, and, and then you hear them saying, oh, well, they're just two guys face guarding. Well, they're not supposed to, if you're trying to catch the ball, if you're running a pattern and you have to catch the ball, you can't be face guarding. You can't be hand fighting. You know, that's just two guys hand fighting. If you're hand fighting, how do you, how do you get in position to be where you're supposed to be to catch the ball? It, mm. it, 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 the whole rule is ridiculous. It's kind of like the NBA, I keep saying. Yeah. No, no harm, no foul. Except in the NBA, if you hit the guy's shooting hand, you're going to get, you're going to get a foul call. Um, you know, while he's got, while he's got the ball. It's clear so, cut. Yeah. 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 And, 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 Smart coaches like Pete Carroll, who, you know, originally was a defensive back coach, and I think he sort of set the pace for everybody, teach their guys to follow, to stay within contact, which is why guys like Richard Sherman are so good, because although they're not quick or as quick as some of the others, he's got, he's long, he's got long arms, long legs, he can run with a guy and keep within reach and when you see when you see the receiver's eyes or his hands go up to make a play you then get your hand in between them whatever and usually what happens is you get your hand on his hand you get your hand on his chest you might even get your hand on his face yeah um and it makes it hard for him to catch the ball but that is basically the way that pass defense is played um, in man coverage nowadays by most, yeah. by most teams, especially by the outside corners. And, you know, if you think back to the years when face guarding was against the rules, in other words, you could not wave your hands in front of the guy's eyes if you weren't playing the ball. And, you know, we, we see so many completions as well because guys don't know where the ball is. The receiver does. So, you know, a great strategy when you need a first down or, or a big play is to send your receiver one-on-one downfield and underthrow him. Yeah, and sure. The, and the receiver comes back for the ball, and the defender who doesn't has no idea where the ball is has to fo- has to basically foul him. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Draw and, the flag. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, the Ravens lived on that for years with Joe Flacco mm-hmm. and Torrey Smith. Um, you know, they, they they were good. Any key, key game, they were good for a flag there. So mm-hmm. you know, I, I, Mike Lombardi, I, I listened to the other day, and he he sort of blames Al River on you know who he calls Rip Van Winkle. And, and Al's only woke up, he says, in the last couple of weeks. But I, but I think it's 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 basically more. It's it's deeper than that. It's that it's that the way the rules are written, it's completely in a, a subjective call, and you can't. You know, there's the benefit of the doubt is automatically in favor of the defender. Because, as I said, the defender only has to do a little bit. You know, holding is a similar is a similar problem. In that, you know, unless you really wrestle a guy to the ground or get your hand around his neck or head, it, you know, you don't see many holds called. And when you do see them, they're often really what you would have to say, you know, minor Tenuous, violations yeah. given given how major <laughs> violations that don't get called are. It is, it is particularly, just a final line on this and we'll roll on. As you say, Mike, it is, and brilliantly described how it, 
favors the defensive back more often than not. But at the same time, one of the more maddening things of modern NFL has been the number of flags that are thrown and the, and the, uh, the fractious nature of games as a result of that. And, and you understand why that, that is the case, but it just adds to the, I guess the general sense of confusion and, and as you've always said, the inconsistency that is uh, fervent in, in the league at the moment with it. Uh, let's move on to, I want a quick line on the NFC East race, if I may, just because of Monday Night Football, obviously. There's a race? Apparently, yeah, but, well, yeah, define race. <laughs> it's, like the, think, it's like the potato and spoon race, where there's a sock <laughs> race at a, at a kid's school. Sports day, yeah. yeah. One of them has to win, apparently. Mm-hmm. Uh, although, well, actually, where are you on that? Do you think a team that, irrespective of whether they won the division or not, as opposed to a winning record, they should be allowed in the playoffs. It doesn't really bother me. Bother um, me. Okay. It's, it's, right. it's the way it is. Um, and, you know, divisions, divisions could produce not so great records because three teams are really good um, as much as four teams being really bad. <laughs> so, so, you know, I'm okay with it. Okay. Which are, with the Eagles win on Monday night football against the Giants, the return of Eli, of course, who looked uh, like uh, a good Eli of the past in the first half and then completely disappeared along with the rest of the Giants offense <laughs> in the second half. Yeah. There was a great play where he fumbled a snap down in the, down in the, um, the red area, at like about the six yard line. Mm-hmm. And I thought Daniel Jones could do that. yeah right well Eli's getting a swan song of course with the Jones injury and it was almost a a, someone might have made this point and I've just uh, unconsciously uh, plagiarized it subconsciously plagiarized it but it it was almost a perfect uh, microcosm of Eli's career wasn't it this game looked really sharp and promising uh, there was a Mario Manning yeah one of those one of those passes was like a Mario Manningham pass he he dropped he dropped it in um, yeah, Slayton is, is, should it's be getting good, huh? some notice, you know, um, fifth round rookie. But yeah, he dropped it in over the shoulder, um, you know, just perfectly. And, but then you had that, and you also had that great flea flicker where Barkley turns around and there's like two eagles between him and Manning. As he throws, yeah. as he tosses the ball back to Manning, and Manning <laughs> almost literally like a volleyball player just pushed Bam. it right, right back <laughs> yeah. to Barkley. Yeah, no, yeah, no, yeah. you take you it. Have it. Like it was four hundred degrees Fahrenheit or something. Um, a quick line on who you think is likely to eke out the divisional win in the East. I, I'm still going with Dallas. I guess um, they're a more talented team right now. Um, Lane Johnson, I don't know what his situation is going to be, but he's hurt. Jeffrey, I think, is out for the season. And Wentz, Wentz is like Brady. It's like Wentz has no trust in any of his receivers except mm-hmm. Ertz. Yeah. And you can't keep going to Ertz all the time, you know. Yeah. Um, I, I, it, it's it's one of those where any way you look at it, you lose, you know. Um, but I, I suspect I suspect the Cowboys um, are, are going to be able to – to win let me think let me just just look quickly now um philadelphia is at washington so they should win that then dallas is at philadelphia which normally you would say that gives the eagles an advantage but they haven't been great at home as we saw on monday and um then philadelphia is at the giants so the, the eagles should pick up two wins right there whereas dallas has the rams um, and then finishes with Washington. So really, the key game in this is Dallas and the Rams. Mm. You know, the Eagles could go in um, a game ahead of Dallas this week, and then if they beat the Cowboys, the season series is is even, mm-hmm. and they've won it. So you know, watch the Rams. That's that's right. that's that's the key in this one. I, I'm I'm already talking you know against myself here. Uh, yeah, as as you have to do. So the um. So the Easter, neither of those teams, I think, are going to appear in our next 
uh, part of the show, Iron Mike's Iron Ranking. So you, this is your top 10 power rankings. Oh, yeah. Uh, just before right we now. leave the Eagles, you mm. know what they need is John Dorenbos back, the long snapper. Oh, right. Okay. Tell long us snapper more. Got it. Before Monday Night Football, he was on with ESPN. He did a magic trick with Randy Moss, um, <laughs> where he gave a card to Randy Moss. Randy Moss puts it back in the deck, and then he said he throws the cards in the air, and Randy Moss catches one card. And he says, is that the card you put in the deck? He's Randy Moss says, no. And so he starts looking for the card, and there's a mm. football in front of Randy Moss. Mm. He takes the football, takes out a knife, and cuts the, the football open and pulls Randy Moss's card out of the football. Wow. Awesome. What did Randy Moss do? <laughs> Randy Moss went crazy. Oh, it, was, it was great. And um, I think I know how he did I mean, I know I know how he did it. But oh, um, tell me that off air. You know, never yeah, yeah, we don't want to spoil. But I said, that's what they need. The Eagles need a magician out there. <laughs> sure. The, the ball appears were actually in the end zone. No one quite knows how. <laughs> After the ball is snapped. I love it. Uh, all right. To Iron Mike's Iron Rankings, these are your power rankings. Top 10 in the NFL right now. Now, AFC, NFC, it doesn't matter where you are in the division. Uh, so, therefore, seeding slightly put to one side. Who are the best teams in the league right now based on Iron Mike? Okay, top 10. It, it's sort of like the group, the gang of four, um, which is really the gang of three plus one, but it's the gang of four from seven to 10 is Tennessee, Minnesota, Green Bay, and the Rams. So the Rams being 10, presumably. The Rams being seven. The Rams being seven. Oh, okay. But, so. but I mean, it, like I say, Green Bay and the Rams were probably seven, eight, you know, are probably in a tie for seven. Minnesota just behind them and Tennessee uh, we, would, be, okay. would be 10. Um, then you've got, um, Kansas City, Seattle and New England. Right now, I would say New England six, Seattle five, Kansas City four. Um, and, the thing with the Patriots is they're not a very good team and they need everything to go right if they're going to beat anybody who is good. Uh, they haven't won a game where the opposition has scored more than 14 points and they're very good at keeping. They, they held the, the, the Chiefs to three points in the second half of that game. Sure. Um, you know, and if they hadn't had a field goal blocked, it, it would have been better. And that's the kind of play the Patriots don't usually surrender. They, you know, they blocked a punt. Uh, they got a touchdown out of that, but, you know, everything has to go right for them in order to win. Um, they, and I, mean, I think Devlin's they, out for the season, right? There's no Devlin's reason. been out for the season since like week three or four. Oh, no, he's been out, but he's out for the season. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. That, I mean, and that's what the huge, that's one of the huge differences. Um, yeah. almost more so than receivers. You, you saw they tried to go run at the beginning of that game against Kansas City, um, without much success. They don't have Gronk. They don't have Trent. Uh, Trent Brown, and they don't have Devlin. So when you were running behind those three guys, which is what Sony Michelle is kind of like a follow the fullback kind of runner, mm-hmm. um, you know, that was devastating. But Isaiah Wynn's not a bad run blocker. Tooney's not a bad run blocker, but they've got a linebacker playing fullback. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they can't dominate the way they did. And Wynn really had a tough time with Frank Clark in that game. Um, pass blocking uh, and Karras, the center who's replaced Josh Andrews, who's out for the season. Karras just doesn't have the, the, the bulk um, to be able to hold off good interior rushers or, or move them out of the way, which Andrews, although he's also a finesse blocker can do that. So, you know, the, the Patriots, you can't write them off because, you know, 
they can always prepare for a game and play really well, but but they don't have the talent of the Chiefs or the Seahawks. The top three teams are pretty just obvious. Just quickly, before you get to the top three, sure. just on, this, on the Seahawks and Rashad Penny's injury, uh, as is always the way when a, a key player goes down, it's, it's, it's going to weaken them. But how significantly with this particular offensive makeup? It's a bit. I mean, they need, they want to run the ball and, and giving Carson rest was, you know, was, was a real positive thing for them because right. they're, when, when they were, um, you know, they, Tennessee, the Vikings are kind of the same team in a sense that they all need to run the ball and can, and control it, uh, to make their game plan work. Oakland is a similar team. When Tennessee was playing Oakland, it was like, it was like watching the same team on both sides of the ball, except ten- Oakland didn't have Josh Jacobs and, yeah. and uh, they didn't have Tannehill running. Um, they, they have Carr. So I, I think that makes a big difference for Seattle. If they can't control the ball, then they have to really rely on Russell Wilson making plays. And, you know, DK Metcalf's going to make plays. Lockett's going to make plays. Josh Gordon really doesn't look like he is going to make plays. But uh, they're always dangerous for that reason. They're not as good defensively as we think they are, you know, because they're Seattle, we kind of give them an extra, extra bonus. Yeah, but, for um, sure. For sure. But, but they're, and Kansas city, they played pretty well. I mean, Spagnolo knows what to do against Brady, which is bring mm. pressure up the middle. Um, and a lot of other teams will, will try to do that, but they needed a few breaks in terms of coverage, because when you do that, you need your corners have to be able to man cover and the Patriots make that easy because they don't have a receiver that you can't man cover. They doubled Edelman for most mm. of the game, and Brady had no one else to really go to um, with any consistency. And as mm. I said, the biggest non-call of that game was the one when Kendall on Kendall Fuller because Kendall Fuller can't man cover a receiver. Um, not even Philip Dorsett, who's not. <laughs> yeah, the top the, the the top three. Yeah. And I don't know how you order them because they played each other, right? New Orleans, Baltimore, San Francisco. I like what San Francisco did on the road. So I've put them at number one uh, with Baltimore two and New Orleans three. Yeah. But really, when you look at those games, the San Francisco, Baltimore, the the uh, San Francisco, New Orleans game, they could have gone either way. Either way, sure. Uh, th- those are three. Those are three really solid teams on both sides of the ball. Um, I think that the Saints are not as good offensively or defensively as I thought they were at the start of the season. Um, but they just put up forty whatever points yeah, on they, they the best can, defense in the NFL. Yeah, they still they still can can produce and Breeze, who I thought was not looking as good as he had at the start of the season, still doesn't seem to have this much zip on the ball, but he was certainly putting the ball where it needed to be. I mean, it was a master class in, in accurate passing. Yeah. Um, they do rely a lot on Michael Thomas. Um, San Francisco st- stopped them from running the ball, which is a real key for them um, uh, because they work so much off play action. The Niners the Niners can do it in any number of different ways. Well, let me ask you about that, Mike, because uh, keen on your perspective on this, the, on the one hand, people are celebrating and rightly so the uh, innovative or imaginative play calling of, of Shanahan and diving into his box of tricks and finding different ways to, to beat the Saints. Is that something that, uh, I don't want in the game, right? So uh, it makes a lot of sense that that was the game plan, but, is there an element of that that you think Shanahan is going to look at the typical offense and be concerned that he had to revert to those kind of plays to to get the job done? I guess okay, it's a solid New Orleans defense, but it's they're maybe not one of the the 
best defenses in the NFL. They've you got follow a, my league. They've got yeah, they've got a good front and they've got some great defensive backs. Sure, Lattimore, um, yeah, including they, yeah. La- including yeah. Lattimore, which way but you know, what Shanahan's doing is what Atlanta did when he was their offensive coordinator and they went to the Super Bowl and had a twenty eight to three lead over the Patriots. Mm. Um he he attacks you on different levels. He's really good at at creating openings for people. He's got a great tight end um, who to you know to run that middle level it, like Kelsey does for the Chiefs, like Ertz does for the Eagles. They they use him very well with Emmanuel Sanders and with Debo Samuel sort of coming into his own. He now has receivers who can who can fill those other levels. Um, Sanders is you know. If the Patriots had picked up Sanders, and I, I think, I think that when he went on the market, Elway was no, no way he was going to give Sanders to the Patriots, um, mm. regardless of what the price was. But they mm. got him for a second and a third, which is a pretty good deal. Um, he gives them so much more, um, flexibility in, in what they do. And if they have all three of their running backs in place, Mostert, who I used to do when he was at Purdue, um, and he couldn't do a lot because Purdue's line was always being overpowered by the other mm. Big Ten teams, but he returned kicks and stuff. He's he's a very explosive back with really yeah. good running skills. Um, and, you know, yeah, they ran the trick play with Sanders to Mostert, but, you know, there was Mostert wide open. But with Breida and Mostert and Tevin Coleman, who barely played against the Saints but had a, you know, had a pretty good game the week before – I just think he's got so many options and he's got a fullback um, who he can use and does use in various ways. He was no nonsense. Is when he got pancake, just bounced straight up for the neck. Yeah. And really the only difference is how good is Jimmy Garoppolo? You know, mm-hmm. how far is Jimmy Garoppolo going to take it? Because when you look at what they do, Garoppolo's not making the kind of big play throws that you might want if you're going to go all the way, you know, the, the kind of breeze. So he's, they're more yards after the catch kind of thing, which is the way his offense is designed to work. So he, if, yes. he, hit, if he hits Kittle in stride, if he hits Sanders in stride, um, they're going to pick up yards after the catch. But he's not, he doesn't drop in the, the bombs very, very often um, the way Mahomes might or, or Breeze might or Wilson will. Um, and that's really the, the major difference. Baltimore is a, a thing unto themselves, right? Because they're running an offense that nobody else can run. Um, based on Lamar Jackson. So they're going to go pretty much as far as that takes them. But since they've got Marcus Peters and Jimmy Smith is back, they're so deep in the secondary right. that it's hard to make plays against them um, because that secondary that secondary uh, does very well. Well, they just messed Josh Allen. I mean, it was blitzed. I think they blitzed 30 times, I was reading. The, yeah, the, the and they sacked him, I think, six, six times. times yeah. But more importantly, they kept him in the pocket. Yeah. And he was and outside Allen, of the pocket. I saw a stat that he was 0-11 outside of the pocket. Just yeah. When he did get out, he was so uh, hurried and just couldn't get any. And he only had one downfield throw of 15 yards or more. He just yeah. really, really. And he only ran the ball twice. Um, right. And I think it was nine yards he picked up. And so right. that, that, that was pretty much, you know, Buffalo's defense against them was very, very good. And I think a lot of teams will be looking. But, but part of that is you have to have the way they did it. Um, you have to have a safety who can sit and read and make and make the plays um and or or a linebacker they did it with Tremaine Edmonds um but i was thinking i was thinking of the the steelers using uh, minka fitzpatrick say in in a similar kind of role last week um you, you basically had him waiting 
to see where the play was going and then trying to crash the play at an angle. And it worked pretty well. Um, they weren't able to run, run that kind of power, um, pistol power, whatever you want to call it, kind of, kind of attack that makes them work. Right. I'm going to dive into the mailbag. I'm Mike uh, at the NT show, Facebook, Instagram, uh, Twitter is how you get in touch with the show. Fire them in all week long, incidentally, gang. And it doesn't have to be the day of record or day before, uh, the show. We will, uh, we'll save them up, uh, the goodies and, uh, and wheel them out, uh, for the big man. So, uh, let's go first with Colin. Thanks for this, Colin. He says, is Austin Eckler going to have to leave the Chargers to be their number one running back? That's a good question. Um, I don't think he's going to be a number one running back in most of the places he goes to. Austin Eckler is, you know, going to be like Alvin Kamara or Kareem Hunt. Um, he's going to be like Matt Breida. These are the guys who, you know, are sort of like his skill set. And he's more, they're more effective if they're sharing the load with another with another runner, usually a guy who's a power runner, mm. um, you know, like Ingram or Latavius Murray um, or whatever. So I think, I think he's in a good situation right now um, because you don't want to ha- be giving him lots and lots of touches. You want to be using him creatively. And he had just a brilliant game against Jacksonville who basically, I mean, shoot them now they're dead. Um, I, I was, I picked them to win that game. I don't know. I'm not quite sure why, but they, they were just horrible. Um, defensively, they weren't tackling. They, they were playing like a team who's, you know, whose, whose, whose hearts weren't in it. Yeah. yeah. Um, I was just, uh, yeah, reading the question. Austin Eckler won't be the Chargers number one running back if he has to leave. So there's either a brilliant question from Colin <laughs> on an existential level, or I think, uh, to be a number one running back, I think is what yeah. uh, he was getting it, at. It, it's like that internet meme that went around yesterday with this big uh, uh, garbage dump uh, dumpster outside mm. a building, and, and it stenciled on the dumpster was empty when full. <laughs> oh, I love it. Uh, here's one for you, Mike. Uh, if there was a most achieved with the least talent award, who would win? <laughs> Te- team or individual? Well, he. Uh, this is Richard. Uh, it suggests Brian Flores, which is a little bit harsh. I quite like what... Uh... Oh, um, oh, most with least, oh, okay. So I'm with you now. So most achieved with the least talent. So coach, I'm guessing is what. Yeah. Saying. Most achieved with the least talent is a coach. <sighs> right reverse, now, right now, you know what, talent. you know what no one notices is Bill, is Bill Belichick. Right. That right. team, that team is not a 10 and three team. Uh, on paper. I mean, yes, they, they've played an easy schedule, but so has Miami. You know, they're playing the same, basically the same schedule sure. as, as Miami. Um, but yeah. His other I part, mean, most, most, uh, least achieved with the most talent is presumably Jason Garrett, I guess. Yeah. I, I, I think that's kind of automatic. Doug Peterson's got to be in that race though, yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, um, you know, it's like people might jump and say Pittsburgh, but Pittsburgh's mm-hmm. got a lot of talent on that team, especially on, on defense. Um, and, uh, you know, yeah, their, their running back situation's a mess, but, um. You've just been out a lot as well. That's not a bad shot, Mike Tomlin, but yeah, Flores, I think it's got to be up there. Um, yeah, I mean, Tomlin's going to get a lot of coach of the year votes. But Vrabel. Oh, what about McDermott? Ten- Ten- Tennessee's McDermott's a good shout, although th- there is a lot of talent on that team. Offensively, but yeah. not so much, though, is there? Yeah, offensively, not so much, but they've built it the way they want to build it. Yeah, right. McDerm- McDermott's, uh, um, McDermott's a very good shout. Tennessee is a talented team. Mm. Um, you know, when they're healthy on the offensive line, if Cor- and if Corey Davis would ever come back and play like like the guy who's supposed to be Corey Davis. Um, they're a good defensive team. They're, they're solid on both sides, but, but, um, I think they, you know, Brabel's done a nice job of sort of sticking, sticking to things with them. And, and 
you know, they've got two games with Houston in the next three weeks, which, which will be great because that's going to decide the division. Mike, uh, if our listeners want to get more of your stylings, patreon.com forward slash Mike Carlson, F-M-T-E. We'll push that link out on our social channels as well. All your picks for, where are we, week 15? Mike yeah, well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what. Um, I looked at the NFL Pick Watch site, and um, the number one in that standings is not a person, but AccuScore. <laughs> which is one of the computer programs um, <laughs> who picked 139 Accus games score. correctly. And guess how many Iron Mike has picked correctly? 138. 139. You're the same as AccuScore. I love this so idea. So me and AccuScore would be leading the nation, um, all the, all <laughs> the pundits AccuScore. in the U.S., all the guys at ESPN, all the guys at NFL Network. You know, they're all behind me and AccuScore. Well, you are ESPN now, my friend. Hey, incidentally, what we should do if we get to week 17 and you and AccuScore are still neck and neck, we should I probably some kind of special. mentioning it. Some kind of, AccuScore will be listening to this. He obviously, presumably he can listen to any <laughs> podcast that is released because he can just simultaneously listen to 5,000 shows <laughs> to gain information, to gain, a, a gain an edge. But you versus AccuScore. Me versus AccuScore. He picks a live show, a bit like the uh, LeBron James decision where we just go game by game, you're picking them, and then you have to stay. You and AccuScore, just imagine this giant 80 star computer on a, live on a TV show. We've got to make that happen, I'm like. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, I was, all, I was all prepared to do a top five on, on the best announcing pairs, which somebody, I think, asked for. Um, oh, we'll have to week. wheel that. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, but since, since you trumped me by giving, making me do a top 10 <laughs> off, <laughs> yeah. off the top of my head, um, yeah, if you, you guys listening, send in your your picks for who the best announcing pairs are. Um, and we'll, we'll see how they match up against mine next week. All right. Lovely stuff. Yeah. Fire those in at the NC show. We'll, we'll get into it next week. That's a promise. We've got a Christmas special coming up soon as well. Uh, my, my, you're coming to ESPN HQ for that one, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And you uh, got a Christmas I'll, jumper sorted. Well, I've got my Christmas hat for it. Okay. Oh God. Okay. All right. I'll look forward to that. Try and wheel out a Christmas jumper as well, Mike. I think we. I think it's a big. Uh, Iron Mike. Well. Iron Mike don't do Christmas jumpers. <laughs> we'll have to wheel out your some Iron Mike singers Christmas as well. Some of your. Uh, some I of your could classic. wear my, my Bill Belichick Let's Party sweatshirt. Oh, definitely wear that. Please wear that. Well, uh, that's a lock and a load. All right, cracking stuff. Iron Mike. We'll see you next week. Okay. So have a good time. Fine work from I Mike. He'll be back next week with his top five. He was, I think, annoyed that we didn't wheel out the top top five, given the fact he'd, he'd worked heavily on that. But I tell you what, as he said, uh, we'll fire it out on the social media channels at the NC Show. Uh, put your suggestions forward for your favorite uh, broadcasting duo of all time, and uh, we will discuss them on next week's show. See if they align with I Mike's thinking as well. Uh, big shout out to Touchdown Trips. If you are thinking, scratching your head about Christmas presents for nearest and dearest. Well, go to touchdowntrips.com forward slash gift hyphen vouchers. Touchdowntrips.com, you'll find the gift vouchers tab on there. Uh, the full URL forward slash gift hyphen vouchers. Uh, easy peasy, really. Uh, stocking filler perfection is what I'm going to say there. The gift vouchers there. Touchdown trips, organizing all kinds of travel to the States for NFL games, for college games, high school games, outside of the NFL as well. If you're loving your American sports, they are the go-to guys for that too. What's not to love about that? Uh, so boost your creds and Christmas creds with some touchdown trips. Prezies. I hope Ben Isaacs is listening to this bit, not just jumping to his bit because then he can get me something from them for, for my Christmas present. I'm pretty sure that everybody on the show is getting me a present, right? I hope that's I hope that's good. That could get quite awkward. Right, let's get into the college uh, chat and the Heisman with Ben Isaacs. Benedict Isaacs, what's going on? 
Oh, I'm just enjoying the college football season and getting excited about bowl season, or as everyone else calls it, Christmas. Uh, how was championship weekend for you? Did you watch uh, every single game ever? I watched. I certainly watched far too much, and I'm still suffering because of it. But it was all it was all worth it. You know, you want to see the champions, and you want to know exactly who deserves to be in the playoffs, and know what you're getting when the playoffs arrive. Well, the playoffs sorted, of course. So, and as we worked together on radio on Sunday and uh, rolled in, and they'd just been announced officially announced, but. I said, any surprise there? And he said, no, not really, based on what had happened over the weekend. Yeah, it seemed, it seemed pretty clear cut. Once, um, once Oregon had beaten Utah, that took Oregon and Utah both, both out of it. They, they both finished 11 and 2. They were not going to put Oregon, a two loss conference champion, in the playoff. They were done. It was then a matter of whether Georgia could do something against, against LSU and who would win out of Baylor and Oklahoma. And LSU just destroyed Georgia 37-10, wasn't close. That took Georgia out of it. And it came down to Baylor and Oklahoma. And I did say this was this was going to be the game of the week, and it was the game of the week. It went to overtime. Oklahoma won 30-23, and that slotted them in at number four because Clemson won comfortably, Ohio State won comfortably. So we've got three unbeaten conference champions plus one loss Oklahoma. Now, the decision the playoff committee had to make was who's going to be number one? Because going into the weekend, it was Ohio State. But I think most people would agree that LSU looked the best on Saturday, beating a really good Georgia team. So LSU got the number one seed, then Ohio State, then Clemson, then Oklahoma. And you really, this year, really want to be number one because you don't want to have to play one of those three unbeaten teams. So LSU have certainly got the easier task facing Oklahoma. And don't get me wrong, this Oklahoma team is really good but they are certainly not in the class of Clemson and Ohio State. That Clemson-Ohio State game will be absolutely unreal. This may be the best four-team playoff field we've ever had, but it looks weird because there's no Alabama. It's the first year that there's ever been a playoff without Alabama. Right, there you go. Uh, The championship game on January the 13th, uh, of course, so uh, all to play for. Just a quick line on the bowl season for the uninitiated. So obviously mm. we've got a lot of NFL fans listening to the show, hopefully have uh, got on uh, the college train this season, significantly because of your involvement of as course. well. But, um, they were entirely because of your involvement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, have, maybe haven't got to this stage of proceedings before. I have a, a loose understanding of what's going on, but talk us through it for the uninitiated. Um, so, the, so the bowl games will take place around Christmas and New Year. Um, the first one actually um, this year is on the 20th of December and they go through until the 6th of January. Um, and they sort of peak around New Year's Day. The biggest ones are around New Year. And back in the old days, you only had a handful of bowl games, and they were partly created to fuel tourism. It was to get fans from the Midwest and the East Coast out to California and out to the South where it would be hot, and they'd have a little bit of a holiday, and they would spend money, and it would be a great reward for the players, and it would be quite an achievement getting to a bowl game. Now it's less of an achievement because <clears throat> there's so many bowl games and because, you know, you've got to have a wing record to kind of qualify. So now there's absolutely loads. And sometimes you get people saying there's too many, but I I don't understand that argument. There can never be too many. For it's not you don't have to watch them if you don't want to. But if you love the game, then the fact that you've got a game or sometimes two or three every single day over the Christmas period is fantastic. I mean, I... I'll be going away at Christmas and I'll make sure that I've got like a streaming stick 
that I can stick into my um, stick into my TV or a Chromecast so that I can get ESPN player on that so I can watch it Christmas Eve and all this sort of stuff. So, you know, there's games Friday the 20th, the 21st, the 23rd, the 24th. You know, there always seems to be a game in Hawaii um, on Christmas Eve. And if As there should be. Exactly. Exactly. We've got to make sure we go out for that next year. I think yeah. Oh, that would. Yeah. Like ESPN, game. make it happen. We'll do a live broadcast from Honolulu on Christmas Eve. It'll be the top-rated, downloaded podcast that ESPN has ever put out. I guarantee it. I love um, it. I don't know how families will well. feel about it, but uh, you know, nah, they can come. We can yeah. work it out. We'll so I mean, as, I mean, as as these games loom into view, the the bigger games, then um, obviously we'll have the opportunity to discuss them but the um like i say the biggest ones around around new year will include the playoff semi-finals um as well as the the traditional bowl games and uh, one thing to remember without getting too melancholic is that for those teams that haven't made a bowl game or still in the playoffs for all those players in those teams in their final year that could be the last game of football they've ever played right yeah, I mean it's um you know it's quite an emotional thing for them and it's it's a it's a big deal for a lot of these a lot of these kids who are who are traveling and they'll go to places they haven't had the chance to play before because if you if you play for a smaller team in say the Midwest you don't necessarily get the chance to go and play in Florida or in California um but what we're finding with a lot of the bowl games now is sometimes the the people who are projected to go at the at the top of the draft they are starting to skip games mm. and it happens less in the bigger, in the bigger bowl games, you know, the, the Rose bowl and the orange bowl and so on. But in the smaller ones, sometimes a player will think, do you know what? I'm not going to risk this. But when it comes to those playoff games, the intensity in the college football playoff, we'll risk it for injury because of the NFL draft. You mean? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Because they'll feel that, you know, okay. Yeah. It, it would be nice to win the camping world bowl, for example, you which is, win that. Which, which is in Orlando, you know, that's a nice little trip. Um, and that's Notre Dame versus, uh, versus Iowa State, in case you're wondering. Um, you don't necessarily want to risk just so you can lift the Camping World Bowl trophy. You don't want to risk, you know, a, a, a fractured leg and tumble down, tumble down the draft. I just want to say, if you are thinking the playoffs, those are both the night of the 28th of December, Saturday, 28th of December, Oklahoma versus LSU. Um, is at 9 p.m. That's from Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta. And then at 1 a.m. straight afterwards, Clemson versus Ohio State. And that's at State Farm Stadium, home of the Arizona Cardinals. Lovely stuff. Uh, just a quick one on the Heisman race. Uh, obviously, given uh, to his injury, that takes him out of it. Uh, who is the smart money on? Oh, there's, well, I would say there's no smart money because it is such a foregone conclusion in the same way that it felt like when we went into the uh, college football selection announcement, we knew who the four would be. The only argument was which one would be one and two. We know that this is going to be Joe Burrow. The only question is whether, um, whether he managed to accumulate more votes or a bigger victory than anyone else in history. He is that far ahead Wow. in the minds of the voters. Um, so Jalen Hurts is in the mix, right? Jalen Hurts. Only four people have been invited. Jalen right. Hurts, the quarterback of Oklahoma, who um, transferred from Alabama. Justin Fields, the quarterback of Ohio State, who transferred from Georgia. Uh, Chase Young, the defensive end from Ohio State, who's probably the most talented player in the country right now. And Joe Burrow, who transferred from Ohio State. Oh, so they're all transferred? 
yeah, it's all the quarterbacks. All the quarterbacks are transfer quarterbacks. And this is something that we are going to see a lot more of. And this is now starting to become a big thing. A quarterback who isn't getting playing time or feels they're not going to get past the incumbent. It's much easier for them to transfer now. Mm. And they all, they all, all those players moved on because there was a player ahead of them that they so couldn't get past. That didn't used to happen before. Uh, well, uh, is it, is it because a lot of NFL teams would still draft a player even if they hadn't? Uh, I'm trying to think of an example. No, so thinking of Sanchez had, when he was the starter at USC, had one season, didn't he? Yeah, he was just sitting because they had a real production line. No, yeah. the reason it happens more now is the, the rules have been relaxed. It used to be you had to get a lot, you got permission from more, from more people uh, okay. and you would have to sit out a year and you would lose a year of eligibility. Mm. Now they have what they call the transfer portal. And you is enter the actual tra- portal. Well, it's, it's like an online portal. You enter the transfer portal and you kind of have your pick of teams. It's great for players. Um, I love this idea of a, of a transfer portal quantum leap. Yeah. So you just walk into something, you get beamed into where have I ended up? Yeah. And staying? then you're like, Oh my God. I'm a, I mean, oh I know. Um, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's, um, it's great for these, it's great for these quarterbacks. Joe Burrow, um, he desperately wanted to be, um, a star at Ohio State. He's from Ohio. Um, he loved it there. And the thing is, the Ohio State fans still love Joe Burrow because he played his heart out. He just couldn't get past, um, Dwayne Haskins, uh, now in Washington. So he just left and LSU, always seem to the reason they would never seem to be able to get past Alabama is they didn't have a quarterback who could make enough plays and Joe Burrow had a very pedestrian um season last year he threw uh 16 touchdowns in 13 games 16 touchdowns and five interceptions this year 48 touchdowns and six interceptions mm. his um completion percentage is 77.9 now that obviously could go up or down during the playoffs and he'll hope he's got two more games to play but if it stays at 77.9, that will be the highest completion percentage in college football history. Now, Joe Burrow is not the best quarterback I've ever seen. I'm not saying that to be like he's average. I've seen better quarterbacks, but this season statistically is as good as any season that a college football quarterback has ever had. He will walk the Heisman, and I would be amazed if he doesn't get picked with the number one overall pick. I think he would have to have a pretty disastrous playoff and then not look good on his pro day. If he just kind of stands pat to where he is and does what he's been doing, then I think he will be the number one pick. He will win the Heisman and he's going to earn a lot of money. And maybe he's going to be back home in Ohio after all with the Cincinnati Bengals. Mm, Looks that way. Although they'll probably beat the Patriots this weekend and go on a three-game winning streak and blow that as well. Well, Uh, with all that video, I mean, you know, (laughs) if... If anyone can sit through video of Bengals games, then I think they deserve a win. <laughs> sure. uh, and uh, Mike has ruled himself out of the frame for being in Ohio last week involved in that. Patriots <laughs> filming crew. That's what he says. Anyway. I'm not sure I believe him. Uh, ben, crack his stuff at tweets from Ben. If you want to follow uh, Ben on Twitter uh, for all college stylings and more, uh, of course. And uh, enjoy this weekend. And we were in the Heisman on Saturday, right? So yep. Saturday night. So enjoy that. And we will check in with you next week. Thank you. Speak to you soon. Take care, mate. Fine work from Ben. He'll be back next week. So will I and Mike, of course. I wasn't lying. There is going to be a Christmas special with me and I and Mike. We're recording it on the 23rd. 
of December. So a special Christmas special special on the 23rd of December that we're recording at ESPN HQ. So extra video content as well. I will insist I might wear some kind of Christmas jumper. Otherwise he's not allowed on the show. So that is all to come in the four episodes every week, all the way to the Super Bowl where we will be out in Miami, uh, dropping episodes daily as we build up to the big game. So if you haven't already, Subscribe to us wherever you are listening to us and you won't miss a trick. We will see you Friday. J-Bell in the house. Looking forward to it. See you then. Bye for now. Sports Social Podcast Network.